Hi, I'm Kimberly Kane, and welcome to Empowered. Each month, members of the Kane Communications team and myself will have the chance to interview individuals who are leading the way in our community, in business, in industry, in communications, with the goal of all of us walking away, learning something new, something we may be able to apply right away to our own lives. In this debut episode of Empowered, I'm speaking with Toya Washington. Many of you know Toya as an award-winning journalist who recently left her career with WISN News. I'll talk with Toya about that career transition that she made. I'll talk with her about life on the other side of news, what life is like as a mom, and we might even learn what's next for Toya Washington. Is so wonderful to have you with us here on our debut podcast, Empowered, here at Kane Communications Group. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. People know you as an award-winning journalist. We know you as someone who is in our household giving us the news every night. But tell us who you really are. Who is Toya Washington? I am a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a sister. I'm a friend. I am someone who spent many years um, taking my job seriously, but not Mm. taking myself seriously. I see myself as that person that uh, is compassionate and caring, um, but also not to be pushed around either. Mm. I love having friends. I love being social. I love being around people, but also have a side that's a little bit of an introvert at times. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's that's me. I'm a lot of things. <laughs> and I have really enjoyed getting to know you. We we didn't know each other when mm-hmm. we both worked in the industry, and I've really gotten to know you just over the past year or so. And there are some things that I've learned about you as well, this work ethic that has really driven you throughout mm-hmm. your life. Tell us a little bit about the Toy Washington that maybe we don't know. Where do I begin with that? I think the work ethic is definitely rooted in my family. Watching my um, father... My parents were divorced. Um, He was the primary parent, so we had visitation with my mom. And just seeing him hustle Mm -hmm. um, and knowing at the time it was really hard, I would say, because there were soccer games or basketball games or track meets that he couldn't make it to at night because he worked, you know, sometimes odd hours. And as a younger person, you don't really understand. You're just bitter because they're Mm -hmm. not there. You Mm -hmm. look up in the stands and where's my dad? Where's, you know? Um, but as I grew older, I realized like, oh, like I get it. I get why he couldn't be there. I get why he had to make that sacrifice. Watching that, I kind of knew early on that I didn't want that for myself and I didn't want that for any future kids that I had. Mm -hmm. So I knew very early on that like I, um, needed to aspire in ways that would sustain a family, Mm -hmm. um, whether it be you know, solo parent or whether it be, Mm -hmm. you know, with a a co-parenting or whether it be married with kids or whatever that looked like. That's probably what most of my work ethic was was rooted in. I grew up on the north side of Minneapolis, which isn't much different than the north side of Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. Um, We lived in a little pocket where they did like a, you know, suburb in the city where they redeveloped, you know, an area and made like this cul-de-sacs and everything and tried to make it look more like that suburb in the city. And then, um, kind of got in with the wrong crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad recognized that fairly early on and was like, uh, this is not happening the way you think it's going to happen. So he pulled me from 
my peer group, my friends. Um, How old were you at this point? Point? I was in seventh and eighth, growing into okay. eighth grade. So okay. he recognized probably late sixth grade, early seventh grade that this crew that she's running mm. with is not great. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, you're going to go to a private school mm. and you're going to try it for a year. And if you absolutely hate it, we'll find somewhere else for you to go. But you're not going to go back into the same schools that this friend group that you have now is in. Was that hard for you? Oh, it's terribly hard. Terribly hard. Yeah. Um, I would imagine as a teenage girl, it's offensive. Yeah, offensive. it really yeah. was. Yeah. And, you know, in your mind, you're like, you can't see what's wrong with mm-hmm. this friend group that you're in. But my parents knew something right. was up. So I went to a small private school in Minneapolis called Breck. And um, yeah, I got to see the way the other half lives. Mm. And that definitely solidified that whole watching my dad, you know, having to make those sacrifices. Yeah. Um, there were moments where in our life where um, we very much family living paycheck to paycheck. Mm. And, you know, I tell people all the time, like, you know, especially when while working and viewers seem to think that we make a boatload of money and that, yeah, that I'm so, you know, like I'm out of touch. And I'm like, I don't think you understand. Like I literally at points in life microwaved water because we had power, but we didn't have like the heat Mm -hmm. on because they were two separate entities. Mm -hmm. So I would microwave water to basically take a sponge bath before school. Or there were times where it was rough enough where, you know, we had to rely on government assistance. So like powdered milk with your cereal or government cheese. That side of life Mm -hmm. is really what helped formulate what I knew that I wanted out of life. Yeah. That work ethic, that drive to not stop. Yeah. To set goals. Yeah. Uh, And then do what you need to do to achieve them. Exactly. And just knowing that sacrifice that my dad made and watching him you know, go through it. And my mom, too, you know, where it's just where, you know, when they got divorced, she was, you know, a stay at home mom and Mm -hmm. then having to get back into the workforce and just watching um, both of them struggle, but struggle with dignity to make sure that it didn't necessarily affect my sister and I in in adverse ways. Mm -hmm. And knowing that, like, I I don't want that for my future Mm -hmm. kids. And talk about how you got exposed to a career in journalism. Well, the, the small private school that I ended mm-hmm. up staying at did what was called May program. A lot of colleges do it um, over January. They call it J-term, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it's like there's a month or six weeks where they take alternate classes or students will go abroad or you find an internship. Um, well, our high school did this on a high school level. You had to basically applied Mm -hmm. and sit in front of a board of teachers and explain, here's what I'm going to do for an internship. My family didn't have the resources for me to go overseas, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was like, I'm not going to sit in a classroom for the final four weeks of school if I don't have to. Right. Right. So I was like, I'll do an internship. I grew up thinking I wanted to be a teacher. Hmm. Yeah. I spent four weeks (laughs) in a third and fourth grade class. And I was like, "I, I can't, I can't do this. I've, Love teachers to death. I do not know how they do it. But it became real evident that was not my path. And then the following year, my dad's like, well, you like to read. You like to write. You like to be in people's business. You like to know what's going on. You like to, you know, share what's going on with other people. Why don't you do an internship with Tony Saffold at WCCO? So got on the phone with him. and So you called him. 
Yes, we're family friends. Okay. So yeah, okay. so I had I had an in. I was gonna say that's a lot of gumption. <laughs> I know that's that. I know. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Um, we got on the phone with him, and he was like, you know, Toya needs to figure out what she wants to do, and how about can you just take an intern on for four weeks? Yeah, did that, and day one fell in love with it. Wow, and I was like this. This is the life for me. So what was it that kind of, you know, lit the spark for you? It was the hustle and bustle. Mm -hmm. It was the constant motion. It was every day was different. It was on day one, we were sent out to a breaking news story. And I remember like just the assignment editor, which I was like, didn't know the titles for everyone mm -hmm. in the newsroom. It was just someone sitting behind a perch desk and they're like, you, you need to grab a tripod. You need to get out there, you know, and like seeing her on the phone and like typing stuff at the same time and then the other phone and yeah. I was like you know it was almost overwhelming but it was yeah. also really invigorating and I was like I, I need to do I need to be in this setting mm -hmm. like I need to have that level of energy and activity and I need every day to be different and we got shipped out to this breaking news story and I just remember the adrenaline rush and I'm oh. like if I can have this like it doesn't have to be every day but mm -hmm. if I can have this like three out of five days a week I want this yeah and so did Tony give you some tips or ideas about how to pursue a career? He did. It was um, a lot different mm -hmm. <laughs> 30 plus years ago. I mean, you started out in a small market and then worked your way up. And he gave me tips as far as basic um, critical thinking, mm -hmm. uh, how to listen, how to ask questions, how to, you know, turn off different parts of your mind so that you are engaged and focused mm -hmm. and listen for cues of like, Oh, is this person telling me the truth? Are they not? Um, so he was, yeah, very integral in finding out that, like, most people tell you, like, when they go into journalism, I would say especially TV journalism, mm -hmm. they're like, oh, you know, I'm just oh, so interested in telling. Well, come on. Yeah. Some of it's being just being on TV. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. Like, it's, you know, a cool role. But you find out very quickly that it's so much more than that. And I got to learn that at a high school level, mm -hmm. which was fortunate because I think a lot of people who think that they want to do it, go into college, go into internship, and then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, it's not what I want to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. But I had that exposure and I returned my junior year and my senior year of yeah. high school. And one thing you and I have talked about is the importance of having someone in your life, a mentor like that, mm -hmm. who, even if you're just talking with them over the course of a couple of months, they're talking to you straight. Mm -hmm. You know, they're giving you the facts. Yeah. And I mean, how important that is for someone, especially at a young age, yeah. to have an individual who's in a career, who is opening doors for you, mm -hmm. who is demonstrating what the real world, what that career looks like, um, and giving you the tools you need mm -hmm. uh, to make a decision about a career. Yeah, it was really important. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say, you know, it caught me at that good time. Like I said, I was, you know, going through that rough patch, sixth, seventh grade, when my dad knew that things weren't quite. Yeah. And then once, you know, two years in high school, and then once finding that path and seeing the possibility mm -hmm. and seeing that someone like me, you know, can be on TV, can be reporting, can be anchoring, was vital. Mm -hmm. It was important. You wrote something in one of your Facebook posts kind of down that line okay. that I, I thought was was really important, um, you know, as you reflected on the career that you were about to go into. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you said people like me, mm -hmm. you know, the importance of diversity, mm -hmm. right? At, at a young age, it seems you recognized how important it is 
to have diversity in the newsroom, mm -hmm. to have diversity in terms of storytelling journalists. Yeah. I mean, talk about that aha for you uh, and, and what that experience has been like for you as a journalist. When you're sitting at home and watching TV, you want to see people that look like you. Um, so, like I said, 30 plus years ago, there weren't a whole lot of black female reporters or anchors in the Minneapolis market. Mm -hmm. um, Tony Saffold, who was who was a black male, was one of the only um, minorities that I got to see on TV. As life progressed and as in being different in different newsrooms and also from the experience of having done it for 27 years, like I know people in so many different markets. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest struggles for diversity is that it's all fine and dandy when we're the people that are in front of the camera because we're representing or we're reflecting what the community looks like. But what's even more vital are the people who are behind the scenes mm -hmm. as well. They're the decision makers. Mm -hmm. They're the ones, the producers, the corner offices, the news directors, the assistant news directors, the photographers. I mean, because it takes all of them to tell these stories. It can't be just those in front of the camera right. that can give you that diverse perspective and to be able to open your lenses in ways that you can't get from a monolithic viewpoint. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been one of the interesting aspects, watching how news and the face of news, literally the face of news, has, has changed. Mm -hmm. There are still not enough minorities that are behind the camera mm -hmm. getting your news to you every day. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the, um, I think, frustrating things. Um, and one of the things that like, I felt like I spent a lot of time explaining and, and it's, you know, very careful conversations about why the white male perspective is different and how like I had to do a lot of educating, mm -hmm. it, it would seem. Um, and it was all very, you know, received very well. But it's one of those that like, OK, well, if we had more of the behind the scenes people who were from a more diverse background, the weight isn't as heavy on those of us who are minorities yeah. in this industry. And some of that may start with asking just the right questions, right? Asking really good questions internally of mm -hmm. newsroom leadership yeah. and, you know, of those decision makers yeah. in terms of why are things the way they are and how can we begin to, to create change? Mm -hmm. So when you were in that newsroom in Minneapolis as a teenager in, in high school, you know, did you realize that you could become um, a spokesperson, uh, a role model uh, as a black female journalist as you pursued that career? I don't know. I don't know. I, I knew moments in which um, it became evident mm -hmm. when I would when young black females or young black males would recognize me. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, okay, well, this there's a responsibility here. Um, but I I don't know that I necessarily went into it looking to be like, this is what I need to do or want to do mm -hmm. or want that role. I want that responsibility. Do I want that? Um, but once, it, you know, after 10 years or probably even less, and when I was still in Madison, it became evident that like, okay, like this is a different level yeah. <laughs> of responsibility. An opportunity. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Was getting into television news kind of a straight shoot for you? Was it what you expected? You know, I'll reflect on, on my time. Um, I went to USC and studied broadcast journalism. Mm -hmm. 
I honestly had no idea what I was what I was in for. I had a passion for storytelling, like mm-hmm. you did. Um, I was interested in in telling more stories about solutions, not just talking about problems. But there are so few people who come out of journalism school who actually get jobs in the profession. Yeah. When I graduated from Madison, there was a group of us that took like that final J three fifty two was TV, and it was I want to say around. 10 or 12 people and it was maybe like eight or nine of us that found jobs Mm -hmm. in the industry and just slowly started like every few years we're like oh got out oh got out and there were only two left (laughs) from that group that remained in the broadcast journalism industry and I was this there's only one now wow and part of that is getting into you know a career in broadcast journalism there's only a, a select number of TV stations that you could work for. Yeah. Um, so there are really only a select number of You positions. think about it like in the NFL, right? Yeah. Everybody thinks that their kid's going to be an NFL player. Mm-hmm. Really, it's a very, very small percentage. Yeah. Um, now, that's very specialized with journalism, which I've come to learn those skills are transferable in many, many ways. Yeah. didn't see that 30 years ago. I was like, okay, well, I got a degree in journalism. That means I have to do journalism. Yeah. <laughs> when I started, it was people started in, you know, the Wausau's, the lacrosse, the Rockford's much, you know, smaller markets. Now it's a different, it's a wild, wild west. Like right. people are coming out of college and working in a top 10 market. Right away. Right yeah. away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. The landscape of the industry has changed tremendously. Yeah. But but one thing I, I think we also have in common is, is the reality of being in TV news. Mm-hmm. So, People think it's glamorous, right? People yeah. think somebody's doing your hair and your makeup. I no. mean, you know, I guess when you're young, right, when you get mm-hmm. out of college and you start working in, in TV news, that work ethic that you had really refined uh, at a young age probably was really important for you because of the number of hours you have to work. Yes, it was. And it was, I mean, a little bit of a shock, I think. But I was, like I said, blessed to have done this internship in Minneapolis. And then when I was in college, did an internship at one station in Madison, which, side note, scared the bejesus out of me because I hated it. Um, I looked around and the people who were in that newsroom were miserable. They didn't like their jobs. They didn't like being there. They didn't give me anything to do. Mm. I'm like, I'm not learning anything. I'm like, if this is what this is like, I'm I'm I'm. 12 credits from graduation. Okay. What am I going to do now? After failing out, after having to pay my own way, after taking out loans, you know, working 40 hours a week, going to school full time, doing an internship. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And thankfully, um, a woman named Natasha Haynes Smith was um, she was a teacher's assistant. She was getting her master's. She was like, don't don't give up on it yet. I've got a perfect internship for you. And it was the Morgan Murphy internship hmm. at Channel 3 in Madison. Fell back in love with it almost instantly. I was blessed with not having to go necessarily to a much smaller market. I remember being at that phase when my internship was wrapping up. The news director at the time said, you know, before you say yes to anything, please talk to me. Okay, fine. Week before, I had had, you know, max out my, this is how old I am, my casual corner Sure. Oh, credit yeah. card. Do you remember your casual card? my favorite place to shop. Yes. yes. Had maxed out a credit card, you know, for that to get appropriate, you know, on-air clothing. Right. I had, you know, spent hours at Kinko's 
printing out resumes. And this is before everything could just be digitized and emailed off. We actually had VHS tapes that you would ship off, right? I remember those. Yes. So I had, you know, a box, a Kinko's, you know, our paper box full of all these tapes, all of my resumes, maxed out credit card. And I was going to do like a Midwest tour. So every smaller market in the Midwest I was driving to. And spending a night and be like, oh, I just happened to be in mm-hmm. Wausau. Mm-hmm. Here's, my I, here's my tape. Right. Yeah. And right before I left, he said it a third time. Don't say yes anything until you talk to me. I said, I heard you twice the first time. What's going on? Mm-hmm. He said, well, I have an opportunity for you. Are you interested? You know, and he laid out like it would be, a, you know, partly producing, part reporting, you know, working alongside the nine o'clock. It was a new nine o'clock um, newscast that they were doing at um, Channel 3 in Madison. And I said, um, w- well, y- yes, I'm interested, but I'm not going to tell you yes now because if I don't do this now, if I don't do this little Midwest tour mm-hmm. with my <laughs> crappy little Chevy Beretta <laughs> in my, <laughs> you know, casual corner <laughs> wardrobe. Suits, yeah. yeah, when am I going to learn how to do it? And I think he was shocked that I said no, but ho- let me get through this trip and then came back and I was like, I can't, I can't live in Wausau. I can't live in La Crosse. I can't live in a smaller city. Yes, I will take the job. Yeah. So, so you had to do that just to, just to, to prove it, just to test yeah, yourself. Just to yeah. Te- yeah, just to f- figure out like, maybe I should live somewhere yeah. else first. So, but it was, that was like unheard of. People didn't come out of college and work in a market 86 right. or whatever it was at the time. But talk about the reality of being in TV news. I mean, what is it like day to day? Everybody thinks, like you said, that there's a hair and makeup person there waiting for you. No, that's not it at all. It's it's a grind. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an editorial you know, meeting at the beginning of your day, whether you're day side or night side, and you're hashing out what stories you're going to cover for the day. If you're you know, a reporter, you're usually making phone calls even mm-hmm. before your shift starts. You know, you're having to make sure that you didn't miss any news from the end of your last shift. It's a grind. It's everyone thinks it's this, you know, glamorous job, but it's it's a um, you're you're basically 24 seven. Right. I mean, it's not something that you can just close out the mouse on your computer, shut it down for the day. It is staying on top of things. And it's funny because people now I mean, I've been out since late December and they're like, oh, did you hear about such and such? No, sure didn't. I'm like, I don't. Yeah. Like I'm not, I, you know, always had, you know, a news program going on in the background in the mornings, you know, a a cable news or I'm, you know, flipping through a paper or I'm reading, you know, even things as, you know, goofy as it sounds, but you know, you can get a lot of tips Mm -hmm. going on just like next door, (laughs) next door app. Like, you know, what's going on in, in the community, what people are talking about. And I'm like, and the be, to be able to kind of step away from all of that, is, it's weird, Yeah, but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Coming out of TV news, people who are journalists in general, you know, you talked about always being plugged in. You talked about 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um, people coming out of TV news have among the best work ethics because you are never unplugged. You're never off because news is, is happening all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um there are things that, that happen throughout your career that help to shape that work ethic, that help you to really think deeply about how important it is mm-hmm. to be on top of it, um, to take ownership, right, yeah. to be accountable. Um, you talked about your freshman year in high school, you know, and some mm-hmm. of the um, 
friendships that you made mm-hmm. that maybe were not the right friendships and your dad pulling you yeah. back and kind of redirecting mm-hmm. you. Talk about some of those kind of lessons that you have learned throughout your life and how you learned them, you know, to help you get to, to the point where you are today. And I want to ask you a question about that point where you are, you are today on the other side of this. I think one of the, and this is probably more of the family, my family's lesson in all of this and my grandma who, you know, the sweetest woman you'll ever meet, but she she had a side to her. Her nickname was Kitty because when she was younger, she would fight and scratch. <laughs> so her nickname. So it's not the sweet Kitty. Not it the sweet the, Kitty. It was yep. She would turn on kitty. you in a dime. But she was the type of thing where it's just like you know, people will show you who they are. Like don't ever just believe the surface. Let people show you who they are. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time observing. I guess, instead of just making assumptions. Um, Sometimes it felt like it was to my detriment because I'm, you know, always a little bit skeptical, like, Mm -hmm. what's really going on here? Mm -hmm. Like, what are you really like? Um, But I think that also um, some of it was, I think, putting up a little bit of a guard. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, I think it also forced me as a person, as a human, as someone who, you know, is friendly but I saw someone who is a journalist um, to kind of question Mm -hmm. and just get to roots Mm -hmm. of things. So that, that's a big, that was a big thing in in my life, I think. Yeah. And I think that's an important skill as a journalist because, you know, not everyone presents a story to you based on its merits or based on its facts. Yeah. You know, oftentimes people are all the facts. Correct. Yes. You you know, you have to, you have to vet that out. Mm -hmm. When you were at Madison, you shared a story all right, when you were, I think it was your freshman year in college, mm-hmm. that really shaped your life. Mm-hmm. And that was actually failure, right? Yeah. The biggest kind you could, yeah. well, maybe not the biggest, but at the time. Um, so I got on campus and went, like I said, from a very small private school to this huge institution to a, wait a minute, I don't have a curfew. I don't mm-hmm. have to come home when someone's telling me. I don't have, you know... This response, I don't have to the empty a dishwasher. Like, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I let loose my freshman year. Yeah. Um, and I guess it didn't, no one ever told me. Right. Like, you could fail out of college. Like, they don't take your money, you know, like they, they'll take your money happily, obviously, any institution would. But if you are not producing, if you are not getting the grades, they'll kick you out. Mm-hmm. And so that's what happened. I distinctly remember having a, um, this is when you still got a, um, you know, your progress report, your grades on paper. In the mail. Or in whatever. the mail, yep. yep. Mm-hmm. And it said FICF, F-I-C-F. I had an F, an incomplete, a C, and an F. And I took that after um, my freshman year. I had to go home, tell my parents that did you know it was coming I knew it was coming but did I fully wrap my brain around the fact that I wouldn't be back there in the fall Mm -hmm. no Mm -hmm. so when I you know I'm like you know they're working on diversity numbers here at UW-Madison they're of course they're gonna let me stay they're gonna let me fix this my you know beginning of my sophomore year and if I have to retake the classes no they're like no you're you're out and I appealed it you know tried to get back in for the fall like told my parents that I was going to Madison to look for an apartment. Really, I was just trying to grovel my way Mm -hmm. back in. So when I got back from that and had to tell my parents that I had failed out, 
was probably one of the worst conversations I had ever had to have with my parents. Um, and yeah, I remember being just so mad at myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I went most of the stuff that I did my freshman year was stuff that I was doing my junior and senior year at a college preparatory school. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that I didn't know the work or didn't know how to write an essay or take tests. I mean, that's that was my whole high school was college preparatory private school. <laughs> I was prepped. I just didn't do the work. I just didn't show up like if they don't take attendance in lecture. OK, well, then I'll just go when I want to go. But true to who you are, you didn't take that failure as failure. No, I mean, I, I did, I think, from the jump. And then once I realized, like, OK, I've made a mess, I'm responsible for cleaning it up. Um, my family at that point, they were like, we, we can't be sending you checks for your books anymore. Like, you have to do this on your own. Mm -hmm. And it was it was tough. It was a hard lesson to learn, an expensive lesson to learn. Um, but I wouldn't change it, not for a minute. I mean, yeah. it helped another layer of that work ethic. Um, it helped me reprioritize life. Um, I did all my partying my freshman year. <laughs> I learned how to... You know, get it out of your system. Get it out of your system. But then, like, you know, you can indulge here and there, but mm -hmm. there's responsibilities that need to be taken care of. And when people say, well, did you regret failing out? I'm like, I, I don't regret failing out. What The only thing I regret is that these scholarships or grants that I got my mm -hmm. freshman year to be there could have gone to someone else who might have had to sit home. Mm -hmm. So I say that part is the only thing that I still. You know, there's a little bit of, and I think that's probably why I write checks to <laughs> the journalism yeah. school to help these students, you know, who do, don't have the finances to be there to make sure that, you know, I'm giving back in that in that way. It seems that there was a, a clarity that you got out of what you wanted in life and about yourself that mm -hmm. came out of that, that maybe someone your age wouldn't have gotten as a, as a freshman. I mean, you hit that wall and you had... A choice. Yeah. You know, you it was ownership. go home with my tail between my legs, stay there, mm -hmm. or it was go back to Madison and fix it. So. And you were 18, 19? 18. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I went back to Madison and I, I fixed it. I took a semester off to just find my way, went to MATC for a semester, then took another semester off to get residency mm -hmm. because it was still a little bit cheaper at the time instead of reciprocity. Um, and then just hustled it was you know i i spent the next several years working at least you know 15 to 20 hours a week sometimes more you know in the restaurant business so it was where the money was hot you know it wasn't going out friday night i was waiting tables yeah i wasn't at the bar on saturday well that's not entirely <laughs> true but <laughs> it was i was after my shift <laughs> but, but you were working hard but i was working hard yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. so fast forward to you know, you're at the height of your career at WISN. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a primary anchor position. Um, you are now a mom of mm -hmm. two, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and you know um, your work ethic. Mm -hmm. You know, you know um, what your commitment to whatever it is you decide to commit to, you know, what you can, can earn, what you can gain mm -hmm. um, with that work ethic. I think many people here, you know, in the Milwaukee area, you know, would see you on TV news for forever. You were such a household face and a household name. Um, what was it that made you decide not to keep pushing, not to keep going? Well, I think it kind of went in two phases. 
So first of all, when I started anchoring, I came here for a morning newscast and was pulled to the night side um, after 16 months or so. And then it was the, okay, I'm anchoring. I think at the time it was the six and reporting for the 10. And then when it started to become clear, like having a more stable work day Mm -hmm. as an anchor versus a reporter, because a reporter called in early, you got to stay late and, you know, you can be all over the place. Anchor, it seemed a little bit more stable. And at the time, my then boyfriend and I were, you know, talking about marriage. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, well, if we're going to have kids, like, how do I? So that's kind of where the anchoring portion came in, because I never really wanted to be an anchor. When I first started in the business, you like the storytelling. I like the storytelling. Reporting. I'm like, if I want an office job, then I'm going to get an office job mm-hmm. and make three times as much as what I'm making. Mm-hmm. Like, why would I want to sit behind a desk when I could do that selling medical sales equipment? Do you know, like what I why? Why would I do that? But then it became obvious that like that stability was a little more attainable mm-hmm. with an anchor position. Once I was doing the six and reporting for 10, um, Tammy Elliott, mm-hmm. um, wanted to take a step back and work part time Mm -hmm. and was met with resistance. And she decided, okay, well, I'm going to go where I can have this work life balance and left. Mm -hmm. So then I was in that position. Then we had one, then we had two. And then I realized after being pulled to the five and the 10 that I can't do this. Like, I cannot be an effective mom. My last full-time contract was we had an hour-long newscast at 10. I live 30 minutes away or 25 minutes away. Like, I'm lucky if I'm home at 1130, 1145, Mm -hmm. and then I'm still, you know, the primary food source (laughs) at Mm -hmm. that point. So I'm like, I am getting home. I'm having to freeze breast milk, still pump or phantom feed. Mm-hmm. Then the, you know, my youngest was a baby and then she's awake again at six 30. Mm-hmm. I'm just getting five hours of sleep. I'm like, I can't keep this pace. And I distinctly remember my husband brought our daughter who was in, I think four, four K at that point to a little school called we know out by us. And it was pajama day. And he dropped her off and he called me and he said, Toya, I'm really sorry to tell you this. He's like, it's pajama day. And Liv is the only one that doesn't have pajamas on. Wow. And I, I mean, I still can feel like that tug in my heart. Like I can still feel it. And this is, you know, whatever, 12, 13 years ago. Mom failure. Yeah. Right. I was like, pajama day. Like I didn't even have to get her dressed today. Mm -hmm. I could have just sent her out the door. Mm -hmm. So I had Maya the infant, you know, baby at the time, put her in her car seat. We go down, grab her, you know, her pajamas. And we were sitting in the um, lobby and I had clearly been crying, like, you know, like ugly Kardashian crying the whole way from our house to this place. I pulled myself together, I get inside, I change her clothes. And she took both of her hands and put them on my face. And she's like, what's wrong, mommy? Wow. And I'm like, nothing, honey. Like, mommy's just trying to keep up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, next time it's pajama day, we'll just say every day is pajama day. You can go to school with your pajamas on anytime you want. And she giggled and her little ponytails and went off to class. And I remember not being able to hold together yeah. in the lobby. And it's still hard for me to talk to about. And I lost it. Yeah. And, like, people were coming out of the office and I'm like, hyperventilating. I'm like, I can't keep this pace. I am at work until mid, you know, I'm moving until midnight. I'm back awake at six in the morning. 
I am getting them up and out the door for school and I only see them in that morning. I'm like, and I'm looking at my youngest and I'm like, this is not the way it's going to be. So I went to our then news director and GM and I was like, I can't keep this pace. I've got to be part time or no time. I've got to be on a family friendly schedule. And in my mind and my heart of hearts, I'm like, once they're old enough and sufficient, they can do stuff on their own and they're more independent. Like, yeah, I could see coming back full time. But right now I can't mm -hmm. do this. I can't do this. It's no time or it's a family friendly schedule. And how long ago was that? That would have been, let's see, Maya is almost 13. She was just shy of a year. Yeah. And then once they both got into school, no one tells you this when you're a new parent that like, yeah, they're most, more self-sufficient and they're more independent. But like at the end of their day, their school day, there's activities. Right. There's, you know, soccer, there's basketball, there's, you know, whatever clubs that they want to join. And you don't have a driver. Mm -hmm. So who does that fall on? You know, husband's working full time. I'm, you know, I'm like the thought of going back to working nightside and doing the 10. I'm like, I, I can't do it. I won't do it. I I going back to my dad having to work these odd hours where I was making dinner for my sister and myself. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm not going to have that for my kids. I'm not. And so I, they were very <laughs> generous and allowed me to go part time. And, but then year after year, it was like, because the role of being a mom doesn't change. No, it doesn't it just gets, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your life yeah. is busy in a different way when they're little. It's, yeah. you know, potty training and it's changing diapers and it's making sure no one bashes their head on the coffee table like mm -hmm. it's different but then when they get older it's the end of the day stuff that becomes more you're needed more yeah and that's where it was like no I can't I can't come back full-time I gotta stay part-time and then once I started in the last two years or so realizing even with a part-time schedule and I had the cake mm -hmm. schedule people would love to have the schedule that I did but what they don't know is that, like, I'm racing in to watch the final seven minutes of a basketball game. Mm -hmm. I am breaking, you know, 17 laws driving from downtown Milwaukee out past Pewaukee so that I can watch the last half of a soccer game that I'm missing, the you know, the first goal of the season yeah. for our kid. Like, or not being able to volunteer to make buttons, <laughs> you know, with their faces on it because I'm at work when all the other parents are available to do those things. Mm -hmm. And it just became evident that like, could I have done it another year, another two? Sure. But for what? And what was it like, I mean, to really go through that process and uh, approach the, the fact that you were going to have to make a decision at some point? And, you know, I put this in the context of what we've seen over the past couple of years, the great resignation mm -hmm. with so many women you know, mm -hmm. leaving the workforce and or returning to the workforce more slowly than men after mm -hmm. the pandemic, um, approaching the reality that mm -hmm. you were going to have to make a tough choice about your dream job mm -hmm. um, or between your dream job and your family. Yeah. You know, what was that like for you? For me, I knew in the summer of 2020, it was one of two things. I was signing at that point, negotiating a two year contract. After those two years, I started doing the math. I'm like, this is how old my oldest will be. This is how old my youngest will be. And then looking at my oldest is a sophomore in high school. If I re-sign after that contract, she would be off to college. Mm -hmm. And I would have missed that window. 
And then the one right behind her, you know, how much of her high school career would I miss being involved in before she was off? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, I would say, the summer of 2020, and it was evident to me, it was made evident to me that here's your path. And I just had to decide whether or not I was willing to do it or not. So you thought about this for almost two years. It was December of 2022, right? Yep. That you I did a two and a half year contract. Yep. Okay. And then they approached me for another two and a half years and um, had what they thought was an offer. And I was not willing to sacrifice any more for any less. Mm-hmm. It was a hard decision to make, especially knowing at 14 what I wanted to do. Right. And thinking this is what I was going to retire doing. But as I've said, like, it felt like the decision was made for me. But what I do with that decision is now mine. Yeah. And there are so many individuals who approach that point in careers where maybe they work for global organizations and they're on conference calls at 4 a.m. or 7 Mm -hmm. p.m. And when you have a family, the fabric of your life changes. It does. What, What words of advice might you have for working people, you know, who moms and dads um, are facing a similar situation. It's hard for me to say and easy for me to say at the same time, because I've been in a situation now since December, but knowing for more than two and a half years what the trajectory was going to be. I am blessed with the fact that financially we're fine without me working um, outside the home. Um, But I, I would say really prioritizing because the opportunities are out there. It might take a little bit more work to find them, but to your point, you know, this work ethic, um, and I, you know, and I don't mean to slander any one generation or any other, but as someone who's a Gen X (laughs) and relating to Gen Z or to millennials, like I wish our universes could find that happy mm-hmm. medium, because mm-hmm. I think it's too many times we have this younger generation telling us, oh, you're doing work the old way. And we're saying, well, you need to be doing our work this way if we could find that middle. And right now, I think a lot of companies and a lot of industries are figuring out that that middle needs to happen if you want to keep and retain good quality people. What words of advice would you have for the news industry and for companies in general when it comes to exactly what you're talking about? I think flexibility, especially with with news. Mm -hmm. I mean, our our news cycle is even more aggressive than it was 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. 20 years ago. Um, I think finding that flexibility for more people, instead of it being like, well, this is the shift and this is what we've done for so many years, so on and so forth. Like if you, like for me, I think had I been told when I went to this family to a family friendly schedule, no, I would have been out 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. But if you had a situation where the people who do want to be there eight, nine, 10 hours a day are there 10, eight now, you know, that many hours a day. And if you have people who are like, look, I can go hard in the paint for you <laughs> for five hours. Right. You find three people like that. You're going to get, a higher level of production out of them than you would burning someone out that doesn't want to be there, that doesn't want to sacrifice. Or isn't able to. Or isn't able to. Yeah. 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 
So really getting to know your employees as individuals versus job descriptions or Absolutely. job titles Absolutely. and really getting a sense of what is their capacity yeah. and, you know, what level do they want to work at yeah. and really trying to create a work environment where they can operate at the top of their license, they can thrive, but mm-hmm. they can be human And as beings. long as the production is there. Right. As long as people aren't taking advantage of it, which I, I get. I know that a lot of industries and a lot of upper management and executives worry that that's that we're just breeding people who who don't have a work ethic, who don't want to, who just don't want to do it. And, and that's not always the case. There's plenty of people. There are plenty of people out there that, yeah, like I, I will go hard in the paint for you for 20, 25 hours a week because that's what I can do. That's what I can offer you. I've never heard that term before. So I'm hard in the paint? Hard in the paint. Yes. <laughs> Basketball term. You go right. hard in the paint. <laughs> I'll have to remember that one. So again, I was on your Facebook post and, um, and it was great to, to read just a little bit about some of the reflections you have had since you left TV News. Mm-hmm. And this one really resonated with me. Right after the election day, you said, Mm -hmm. let the record show for the first time in 27 years, I didn't wake up anxious Mm -hmm. with a stomach knots, a sore jaw um, from overnight teeth grinding, clenching in my sleep, stressed out about election day coverage. Plus, the bonus here, Mm -hmm. you got to see your daughter play varsity in her Mm -hmm. first varsity match. And what is life like for you now in this post-TV news period? It is. I am now the researchers nightmare because when we would sit down as a news organization be like who are our viewers and how often do they consume news what what time are they consuming news are they you know passively watching are they actively watching so i am the nightmare like when i would hear people be like you only watch two newscasts a week like Mm -hmm. are you crazy like Mm -hmm. how do you even know what's going on if you can only watch two newscasts but i'm that person now yeah i'm that person now which i never thought i would be I'm that person now. And it's not by design. It's not by like, I'm avoiding watching. It's not that I, it's like, oh my gosh, at five o'clock, I am running from pillar to post to get someone somewhere or pick up somebody else's kid to get them there. Or someone's picking up my kid because I got my other kid driving mm-hmm. over here. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that, that part of it. I'm like, I, I get it. And also stepping back and not taking in all of the bad mm-hmm. I can see now I see why people say I don't watch because it's too depressing yeah I could get it I understand it and I was seeing far more like you a far more uglier side of it we're mm-hmm. the ones that were reading through the criminal complaints we were the one the details that weren't right. Ever fit published. for TV right. the you know the angry you know person when you go to put a microphone in their face and the things the the horrible words that they hurl at you like I mean they people don't understand they don't see that side of it but now taking a step back I'm like no I I I get I get it yeah and I get why you know you can selectively like pick up your phone and get through the headlines swipe 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 till you want to read something that sparks your interest or you're like okay I'm only going to watch one newscast because I saw on Facebook someone talking about X, Y, or Z, and then they decide to turn on the TV. Sometimes I'm like anxious where I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I, what am I missing out there? But I would say overall, there's a little bit more calm yeah. to me than there was six months ago. <laughs> so I know that when you go out, um, people still approach you. People still recognize you and they they will for a long time one of the questions i know a lot of people are asking is 
what's next? What's next for Toy Washington? Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> um, right now, I am that oldest intern. I mean, I'm not interning anywhere, but I am definitely doing lots of just analysis as to what's next. And to that point where I'm like hard in the paint for 20 mm -hmm. to 25 hours a week, I can still do that and still feel like I am contributing not just to the family income, but contributing in ways that I haven't been able to before. Um, I don't know what's next. And it's both scary and liberating at the same time. I know that, um, I'm, I mean, we're not moving, we're not going anywhere, we're, we're here. Um, but I've done a lot of exploring and this is stuff that I didn't get a chance to do when I was in college because I failed out my freshman year. Once I got back in, it was all tunnel vision about mm -hmm. getting in, getting done so that I could get out and be on air so that I could be out reporting. So I never had that flexibility. You know, you talk to college students, you're like, well, I'm majoring in this, but I have classes in that. And I did everything I needed to do just to get done. So I didn't allow myself to, because I was paying for it myself. So mm -hmm. graduating with, you know, 40 extra credits was not really something that I needed to do because it costs money. Mm -hmm. So it was all about the business of getting out. So now I'm like, I feel like that college student, I'm like, ah, I think I'm majoring in this, but I'm going to explore this over here. So I've done a lot of exploring, a lot of reading, a lot of listening to podcasts, reinventing your career inspired type of learning. And enjoying those girls. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That has been the biggest, the biggest thing. Yeah. They, some, some days they're like, are you, are you going to go back to, to work? Cause <laughs> I know their games now. Right. Because when I would say, Hey, I would leave a note like, before you do any screen time, before you do this, before you do that, I want this, this, and this done. Like empty the dishwasher, make sure you take the dog for a walk. And inevitably, like I would get home at 6.30 and like, oh, well, we did, you know, had this or that going on and I, I, we just couldn't get to it. And I would allow that to be the excuse. Now you're there. Now I'm there. <laughs> I know what you did with your time. And they're teenagers. And it was, yes, and it was not productive. <laughs> so, yes, there are days that they would love for me to go back to work. But they're, I think they are enjoying the fact that I am there and around. And it's not ever necessarily a rushed conversation when someone's trying to catch up with their day with me. It's not, you know, we don't have that fight or flight. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, well... This is all great. I want to hear about it later, but we got to go. Like, there's a little more ease to all of it. So. Yeah. And those are moments you can't get back. So, exactly. Yeah. Relish, relish them. Yeah. So in the in the spirit of this podcast, you know, talking about empowerment mm -hmm. is important. Um, I think especially for women, mm -hmm. uh, being empowered, feeling is empowered is important. What would be some of your tips, your advice, you know, for people about how they can become empowered how they can empower themselves? I think lots of introspection. I think lots of reassessing what's important in your life. One of the things that, and this, I don't know if it's a combination of like, I just, I've never been like a girly girl. I've never had a whole lot of female friends. I've always been one of the guys. I think the now really relying on the other women that I've 
you know, you, for example, like we've known each other for in passing and just being able to reach out to you and being like, oh, is she going to be OK with me? Just dropping a line or dropping an email or whatever, really starting to network in that type of way mm-hmm. would be one, I would say, um, because a lot of people will come at you with ideas that you don't even realize. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, I, I've only I've been indoctrinized like this is how I've done work life mm-hmm. for so long. But talking to other women who've done work life in different ways and drawing those your skills are transferable mm-hmm. out of you. Yes. When yeah. you've been indoctrinated to think this is all I do. This is mm-hmm. all I know. This is all I know how to do. But someone saying like, but look, this is. Like what you have here is what we do here. Mm-hmm. It's just in a different way. Mm-hmm. Your skill set, what you bring to the table, we can serve up in a seven course meal. We mm-hmm. just got to make sure the right ingredients are there. Mm-hmm. So that's I think that's one thing um, I've done. A, like I said, a lot of listening to podcasts, some reading. I'm terrible at sitting down, period. But think- sitting down to actually read that wasn't news mm-hmm. has been even still a challenge and I've been out of the news business since December and I still can't seem to finish an entire book. Um, but what I do finish or what I, you know, I, you know, taking notes on the side, I'm writing them down and that's why I have, cause I'm always, always have some yeah, type of notepad um, or, you know, sending a text to a friend be like, Hey, look at what I just read. Those are the things that I think have helped me feel more empowered Mm -hmm. introspection networking staying in touch with people yeah and you know taking risks right yeah well you grow the most in those uncomfortable Mm -hmm. situations I mean I did the most growing going from all the creature comforts of the school that I went to when I was in sixth seventh grade and then being yanked out of that and put into an interesting like I don't know I'm not this is I am we are not cut from the same cloth Mm -hmm. like I went to school with kids who were driving BMWs mm-hmm. to school. And I'm like, we relied on the city bus. Mm-hmm. It's uncomfortable. But what I learned through them and th- about myself in that experience, what I learned through failing out my freshman year, that, okay, I'm making a mess. I got to clean up the mess. How am I going to do this? I've done the most growing in the most uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. And right now I'm in some somewhat of an uncomfortable situation. I have an awesome, you know, security net with having the support of friends, of family, of a husband, of my kids. So I have that safety net there, but it feels very uncomfortable to me because I've had a W-2 since I was 14. Mm -hmm. To not have like a paycheck coming in on a regular basis or a side hustle of babysitting or, you know, whatever it Mm -hmm. was growing Mm -hmm. up is really uncomfortable. But I feel like there's a lot of growth going on that is still, you know, I just need to fertilize it (laughs) and nurture it and just be uncomfortable and be okay with it. Yeah. Love it. Well, I've learned a lot just by talking with you and I've truly enjoyed having you come in and talk with us on our first podcast episode. First one. So thank you so much for being with us, Toya. Oh, thank you. I look forward to you know seeing what happens and where you go and grow, you know, on your terms uh, and certainly staying in touch. Thank you. Will do. Thanks. All right. <laughs>